I'm calling this word today, all things in common. So in the second half of Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were set free from custody by the council of the Jewish elders and leaders for preaching in the power of the name of Jesus and miraculously healing the crippled man at the temple. This had caused thousands of people to join themselves to the church. And the religious and the secular power base of the Jewish leaders was now even more threatened. But they had no option to letting them go because of the fervour of the crowd's recognition of the power of God upon those two, the apostles. So now reading on in chapter 4, from where we left off in that story there, and we're reading now from verse 23. When they were released, they went back to their friends and told them everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When their fellow disciples heard that, they began to speak out with one voice to God. They prayed. Listen to this prayer. Lord, you are God, who has made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that exists. This is who David was talking about when he said, why do people get into such an uproar and fill their minds with useless ideas? World leaders give themselves a high and mighty place and plan together to outdo God and outshine his anointed Christ, the same way that Herod and Pontius Pilate, with both Israel and all the unbelievers, opposed the holy child Jesus when he did what you, Lord, decided to achieve through him according to your own will and purpose. And Lord, look at what they're doing now. Give us, who want to serve you, courage and confidence to speak out your word and confirm your word by stretching out your hand to heal and let signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy child, Jesus. When they finished that prayer, the place where they were praying began to shake. They were all filled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit and they went from there speaking out the word of God with great confidence. What a mighty time. It's time. The disciples were ecstatic to realise that God was in charge of everything that happened in the world and that no secular power could stand against God and topple the power of his kingdom. This new kingdom was not reliant upon political power or money to influence or to overcome the power of the world. Only the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers would win that victory. They knew that the plans of the world leaders to outdo God and outshine his anointed Christ would eventually fail. After they prayed for the power of God to come upon them, they went out confidently, speaking the anointed word of God that the Holy Spirit spoke into their hearts and minds. They were each hearing God themselves individually. They had something life-giving to say to people in their world. They were receiving something by direct revelation of the living word to them, either from Jesus directly or words that were written in the law and the prophets that were revelations of the life of Jesus as the Christ. See, as yet there was no New Testament narrative and they were all Jews. So they looked to God for revelation and they got his holy word. And it was alive in them. And they began to live it and speak it. 
Now, 300 years after this mighty explosion of the power of the kingdom of God in the church, the church became a secular power under the rule of the Roman emperor Constantine. And from then on, a secular and political papal power ruled that kingdom, empire, alongside other secular political powers. However, the river of life didn't stop flowing through believers whose faith had lifted them into living in the power of the kingdom of God. That's always been there. And praise God for that. The Reformation, it brought great spiritual change, but did nothing to change the political status of the church and simply divided believers up into other existing secular states and regions. It's the power of God that we're looking for. Let our prayer be like those of the disciples in the book of Acts. Let me read it again. And Lord, look at what they're doing now. Give us who want to serve you courage and confidence to speak out your word and confirm your word by stretching out your hand to heal and let signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy child Jesus. And they were all filled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit and they went from there speaking out the word of God with great confidence. And knew how to touch God and they knew how to hear from God. Now we read in the next verse about another phenomenon of the power of God in their midst, which was the loving care that believers demonstrated towards those who were in need. And it says, All the believers were of one heart and mind, and no one felt that what he owned was his own. Everyone was sharing. And the apostles preached powerful sermons about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And there was warm fellowship among all the believers and no poverty. For all who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money to the apostles to give to others in need. This was the fruit of the spirit of faith that worked through love. There was no legalism involved. It is wrong for churches to put pressure on people to have to give. If it isn't the faith that works through love, then it's the spirit of perhaps obligation. That's not right for church to do that. Let's have opportunity to give, but let's know what's in our hearts. The Holy Spirit will bless that and the kingdom increases that way. And the only attempt in history to establish a system of economic equity or egalitarianism was Marxist communism, which tried to create a classless society and abolish private ownership of property and private businesses and production. What happened in the book of Acts could never be duplicated in the world from the wrong spirit. But the ideological slogan of Marxism and communism was from each according to their ability to each according to their needs was ideological. It swept up millions of people in the 20th century in Russia, Eastern Europe, China, other parts of Asia. And it was born out of the anger and resentment and envy of oppressed people against a powerful, wealthy class. It was not born out of love and compassion. This revolution 
led to bloodshed and war and failed in every aspect of its ideological slogan. Over 100 million lives were lost in the 20th century because of tyrannical state leadership. Now, unfortunately, forms of this kind of social justice are seeking to impose themselves upon our present culture as what they call neo-Marxism, which has expanded the categories of victims of oppression that the so-called ruling class exercises, making everyone a victim, including whatever the ruling class is. So it reduces everybody to victimhood. God has another way. And the Bible speaks about it. We've read something there in the book of Acts. It's beautiful. But in the book of Nehemiah, it is the only other place in the Bible that depicts the kind of unity and godly equity of sharing that is seen in Acts chapter 4. In the book of Nehemiah, it portrays the caring and sharing of our God-given giftings and anointings that bring grace and blessing instead of resentment and coercion. And giving is not just about money. It's about an attitude of seeing need, being aware of one another, and knowing our gifts. I don't mean having a, an absolutely complete vision statement <laughs> of, our, of our gifts and anointings, but just knowing where we sense the power of God giving us a grace to be able to contribute something that we know brings blessing. Each one of us, whatever way it is. So in the book of Nehemiah, what happened was when God's people were released from their 70-year oppressive bondage in Babylon, many returned to Jerusalem over a period of some years to rebuild the city and the temple. Ninety years after the first migration back, a prophet named Nehemiah, who was still living in Babylon, Babylon, Persia, because they were running the place, he received news from his Jewish brothers back in Jerusalem that the city was still in ruins and its walls were still broken down. He grieves and weeps over this and prays to God for guidance and favour. And God gives him favour in the eyes of King Artaxerxes, the Persian ruler, where Nehemiah held a high position in the king's court. And the king sends him back to rebuild the city, Jerusalem, and the temple, appointing him as the Persian Jewish governor of Judah. But when Nehemiah first arrived and did a thorough survey of what was going on, he became disappointed. He got angry and he saw some unfair treatment to the poor and the vulnerable where many of the poorer families in Judah had to mortgage their fields and vineyards and borrow money at high interest from their Jewish brothers, who were nobles and officials. So Nehemiah took action, and he admonished the nobles and the officials, and he told them that what they were doing was not good in the eyes of God. So the people changed their hearts in the fear of the Lord. And they began to share together in caring for one another in each other's needs. Nehemiah was then able to inspire the Jewish people to work together 
with a new kind of spiritual unity where families and groups were assigned to sections of the wall and everyone gave of their energy and their different skills with a sword by their side, ready to defend each other against enemy attacks. And this brought great blessing from God upon them all. See, God moves in people at times when the needs become something that other people take to their own hearts. And the needs of one, the needs of two, the needs of a group become something that people carry, fulfilling the law of Christ, bear one another's burdens. And that's what giving is and receiving is. And that's the only place that you read about it in the Old Testament, is this wonderful move of people having a change of heart. Of course, it was a very important project, the city of Jerusalem, the walls, and the temple all being finished off. But that story of the rebuilding of the city and the walls of Jerusalem and God's house, the temple, speaks to us today of God wanting to build us together as his spiritual Jerusalem and spiritual temple, not just the timber and the stones and the building materials. The Bible says, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as his spiritual house. That's in 1 Peter 2. So let this temple be built. Will you do that? Your temple, your house of prayer. In 1 Corinthians 6 it says, don't you know that you are the temple? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We each are a temple, but together we're living stones in the temple of God. And I believe he's rebuilding that spiritually in these days. That's what those early disciples expected to hear. They heard God speak to them and they spoke it out. God confirmed. They, they went to God in their own temple, their own house, the Holy Spirit, and they would hear God. And then they'd speak and God would do things to confirm that their faith was coming from his words to them, the living words. One feature of Nehemiah's rebuilding process was the reusing of the rubble as repurposed building material instead of discarding it as damaged, useless debris. For us, this represents the Holy Spirit putting us back together, putting back together all the fragmented parts of ourselves that were damaged, because of affliction and loss and are now being transformed. That's the saving of the soul. Those things that have caused anxiety and fretting and worry and a life lived in the past or anxious for the future. God wants to bring all of those pieces that look like rubble together as something that is valuable and worthwhile in building God's people together and in building our spirit, soul and body together, each one of us. So this transformation into things that are valuable and meaningful comes through the healing power of the Holy Spirit. And this I do see as the healing and salvation of the soul happening in people's lives. God does love to restore lost and damaged things and to transform them into new things that hold future and hold hope. So can we be God's temple individually? 
and be as God's gathered people today as we sit in his presence. I have an expectation. God is going to speak, he's going to anoint, and he's going to confirm. When Solomon dedicated the temple, and I'll close with this, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, this was his prayer. I want to pray it today for us as we sit and just listen to the words. Solomon said, Whatever prayer or plea is made by anyone or by all of your people, each knowing their own affliction and their own sorrow and stretching out their hands in this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know according to their own pathways, their trodden pathways. For you, you only, know the hearts of the children of mankind. Amen.